Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. Get in the know. Non-stop Vikings talk. It's Purple Daily on Score North and scorenorth.com. Hey, welcome back to uh, Tales from 2010, a Vikings season like no other. Brian Murphy and Judd Zolgad taking a, a trip down memory lane uh, and joined by... Former Vikings linebacker Chad Greenway, two-time pro bowler, 10-year veteran. Uh, t- 2010 was right sort of in the right in the wheelhouse of your career right then. You guys were coming off the 2009 season, of course, in the NFC Championship game loss to New Orleans. Um, Ten years later, as you kind of look back and put your career into perspective, if you do that once in a while, how do you begin to explain 2010? Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Fun to be on. Um, you know, 2010, yeah, smack dab in the middle of my career for the most part, a little in the early front end. But, you know, you come off the 09 season and, you know, wildly successful. You you have Brett Favre, just a crazy amount of stuff going on in 09, a lot of excitement, a lot of fun. Then you have it kind of end in the craziness. And there was New Orleans and, and all that. Uh, and well documented, the loss, the tough loss, and kind of the way it went down. And then you come back for 2010 and, and um, yeah, you know, I don't think you can draft up a bizarre, crazy, up and down, you know, year. It's it's actually kind of unbelievable to talk about when you think about the scope of a of an NFL season and how much happened in that five to six month window. It's pretty incredible. Hey, Chad, at what point in time did it occur to you that that this was, you know, to use your your word, an incredible or bizarre year? Because I mean, weird things do take place. But what, what was the event for you that was the tipping point of? I'll probably. Uh, won't go through a year like this again in my career. Oh gosh. Um, well, I mean, the, the collapse of the metric. Uh, I don't know if there was one, one thing that happened that was like, yeah, this is ridiculous. Um, you know, if I can point to one thing, probably playing, probably playing outdoors at TCF. I think that was like, we had gotten beyond the majority of the craziness. And then, there's just like a play on this frozen field. Um, you know, you're literally calling fans up the week of to, you know, for paying them 20 bucks, slipping them 20 bucks an hour to go, you know, clean out snow out of the TCF. And, and um, I remember walking on there for pregame and remember how hard the turf was. And then for it to be like, you know, Brett's last game, now that all went down. It's just, I mean, you add that to the layer. Um, that would probably be the, the, the moment for me where you look and be like, holy cow, what else is going to happen this year? And can this thing get over with? <laughs> that was the thing. It became sort of a almost a death march at the end. And old man Winter had his last laugh in Philadelphia. Yeah. Not only that, 
you get through you, you well the Detroit uh, the Giants games move to Detroit you get through that experience then it's about are we going to be able to play outdoors and it snowed <laughs> like hell that night and you get through that and then the next week you fly into Philadelphia on Christmas Day only to find out you're not going to play for four days I guess boredom was your next enemy. Yeah, you know, it's, my wife talks about that a lot because I can remember very vividly, you know, obviously playing football, you play around the holidays, and that was, you know, it's, it's common in the NFL. You miss holidays. You you, you make sacrifices. And and um, I can remember having Christmas early with the kids and then having to bounce out, like go catch the plane. Like it was, you know, like at 1 o'clock, and you jump on the plane, you fly out, and, and you get out there, and then, oh, honey, I'm going to leave on Christmas Day, and I'll be back in like five days. Uh, but I'll be at the Four Seasons, and um, I'll have about 30 cheesesteaks, and, um, you know, you can have the two kids. I think at that point we had two kids. Yeah, and <laughs> it's just chaos. I mean, you, if you really lay it out, I don't know how in-depth you want to get about this, but if you lay it out, like, on a bullet point basis of what went down, it's actually astonishing. And, you know, things that even – things that get overlooked – Fired a coach, right? Randy Moss comes in and leaves in a month, five weeks, whatever it was. Uh, the Randy Moss thing in the in the locker room, um, I wouldn't feed that ish to my dogs. I mean, it, it really goes on and on. You talk about the this, how the craziness of playing a game, a home game in Detroit. I cannot, I cannot tell you guys how weird that was to walk out into a stadium that didn't have a home team. You know, the colors were like, if you could describe the colors of the stadium, it was like gray. You know, nobody knew, nobody knew, and it wasn't the Lions, you know, road grays they wear sometimes. And it was, it was just, uh, it was, a, it was weird. That was the, the, the fans being allowed in for free to Detroit as well. And, and Chad, of all the places, of all the places to send a football team, Murph, no, no offense here, but Detroit, Michigan in December was probably not the first choice. You know, possibly Atlanta, right, or something like that, and you end up going to Detroit. Yeah, I mean, and now you look at what, like, you know, the Niners doing because of COVID and all the craziness and scheduling this year. It's like we're ahead of our time in twenty (laughs) ten. You know, in COVID twenty twenty, this is like it must be the decade thing because this year this is like kind of becoming normal. You know, a Wednesday afternoon game that only like half the country can get on TV, and and it's like it's a massively important game. Like, you think back to 2010, like, we are so far ahead of our time. We are playing on Tuesdays, and we are playing in other people's home stadiums. And, and um, yeah, we, we, you know, we had some fans in Detroit, but they weren't our own. So it was, it was just bizarre. And, and I think when you – you could legitimately do a, an hour story on each one of the things I named. And when you put it in totality, it becomes a book, right? It's just it's, – it's unfathomable how it all kind of went together. And I think the funniest part was is when you scale it all the way back to the beginning – and the arm twisting that had to occur to get Brett to even come back. Then you talk about the shenanigans that Brett had to go through personally. Um, it adds up. Well, let's go back to camp. So how are you? You were a pretty big deal at that time. How did you not get a seat on that plane? Uh, I'm scared of flight. No, I'm kidding. I, you know, I don't know. I mean, at that point, you have to remember, you know, I was, what, year five, Um so I was I was kind of becoming my own. I obviously was 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 playing well in a big part of the game that way, but I wasn't necessarily like a big time what I would call you know leader. You know, you had so many guys that had been there, done that. You know, future, current Hall of Famers that were on the team that were 
kind of playing a bigger role when it comes to that and, and flying down and getting and getting Brett. Um, I can remember Steve Hutch busting into my door at training camp. You know, I'm just trying to like, you know, just abide the time and watching some probably, you know, who knows, some show or something. And he busting the doors. We got to get on the plane. We're going down the, to Mississippi. We're going to get him and bring him back. And, you know, he's going to ride in like the, the night. And, like, and, you know, I remember the first thing I think is like, well, if he doesn't want to play, like, do we really want him? Like, that was my first thought. But then it's like, well, it's Brett Favre, and you just come off 09 when you're, you know, you have, to me, you know, the most success, you know, I would end up having in my career in a year. And you're like, yeah, all right, that sounds better than what we got. Let's do it. And that's no disrespect to anybody, but he's Brett Favre. He's immortality. And, and um, but I, I, I don't know how I didn't get a spot on the plane. I don't necessarily, other than the fact that I could have just added to my story, um, I don't know other, what other else I could have, you know, what, what I could have got out of it. I don't know. It was just adds to the ridiculousness. So, Chad, day, day one of uh, camp, from an out, outside perspective, uh, th- those of us in the uh, press or I think the fan base all basically thought, okay, Brett's not going to Mankato, which he didn't, you know, in 2009. That's not surprising. But I think we were all convinced he's coming back for sure at some point in time. Uh, with what you knew at that time, how sure of a bet was it to you that at some point, once you got back to Eden Prairie, Brett Favre was going to show up? I think I was probably 50-50, honestly. I knew there was a chance that he was done, and the way it ended in 09 with him being bruised and battered and the age and the whole thing. I mean, you know, it's it's hard to come back, even for myself. I was in, the, you know, what you would call the prime of your career, and it was it was hard to come back from 09. So to, for him to get it back on the saddle again seemed like it was a stretch. But at the same time, you know, when you play with Brett, and you guys were in the locker room enough to, to see him in action in the locker room and be a part of that is, is he is he loves the game. He loves being around the guys. And you could tell it was going to be really hard for him to let that go until inevitably, in you know, uh, he was forced out by Corey Wooten and the Bears, you know, and that's that's kind of the way it went. But and it's probably the way it was going to have to end for him. So I was legitimately I was I was honestly 50 50. Um, but in the back of your mind, you wondered how he would just walk away. You know, he, he just knew he would have a hard time. There was so much optimism going into 2010, and, and there was so much talk of what was left on the field and unfinished business. Mm-hmm. So once you got far back, you had all 22 starters back, and that's a rarity in the NFL. Yeah. Always exactly. And there was this vibe of, well, we're just going to plug back in and play. But it quickly turned out, you know, the first couple of weeks, you went back down to New Orleans on yep. that Thursday night. It was a close game, but the offense wasn't clicking. Then you had a Miami loss at home, and suddenly the vibes are like, this just isn't right. What's what seems to be wrong? What was it like to kind of sense that? Okay, it's not going to be as convenient as we thought it might be. Yeah, it was definitely that Miami game. Uh, that was no question about it. I think you know you go to New Orleans and, and you knew we didn't play very well defensively. I, if I, from what I can remember, we played pretty well defensively and held them um, to a pretty low score. But then we we just didn't do much offensively. Coming back to next week when you lose to a Miami team that was just kind of like a typical Miami team, it was just kind of meh. And uh, they had the running game, and they had some ability down there. But it wasn't a team that should have beat us. And I think that was when, after week two, you're like, okay, now you're, you know, the week the year before, I think we went, what, 6-0, and 7-0 to start, whatever it was, I think 6-0. and And now you're, now you're in a whole 0-2, you know, and you just didn't feel good about it. It didn't have the same vibe. And, and you know to be in the locker room enough that when you go 0-2, nobody's happy. Nobody's high on the horse. Nobody's having fun. And when you have all those egos and all those we have to win right now mentalities because of the age of the guys, right, and the ability of the guys, as you knew the time was fleeting, 
um, it wasn't a great locker room to be in, especially early on in 2010. And it kind of set the stage for what happened. Chad, when, when did uh, Brad change as, as well? Because Brad sort of, as that year progressed, things got m- more and more prickly, especially, I think, with him and Brett. And it was it didn't seem good from day one with Moss. When did Brad go from, you know, to 2009, things went great, to sort of being uptight about things again? Because I, I sensed a return in his demeanor to 2006 more so by some point. Yeah, he kind of got that defensive edge back to him, I yeah. think. You know, you kind of feel that. And I think he had that in 09, but, you know, winning clear cures a lot of things. And you guys have seen that. And I think that was part of it. I think that that animosity and grudge, that almost like, this is my team. No, no, this is my team. We're going to do it this way. And, you know, it's hard to rein in a guy like Brett. And and I think that was what Chili always wanted was to rein him in and kind of have him, you know, so he could kind of, for lack of a better way to put it, take the credit for everything. And I think that was part of the issue. Um, and you could just feel it change and shift the locker room, the dynamic. And you felt like they were grasping for straws with Randy. And then you bring Randy in, which is a whole nother personality dynamic of, hey, I'm going to do things 100% my way. And you can just piss off if you don't like that. And that's what it, totally how it was. And, and you kind of felt like Chili was just losing, losing control, losing the power. And it didn't help him that he didn't have complete power. And that's what ended up inevitably doing the man when he made the decision on his own to let go of Randy. That's what kind of and when we come back to Green Bay and get our butts whooped. And they're like, oh, okay, this isn't going to work. And, and, and we moved on. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it just kind of all played itself out. And it's, it kind of, you know, guys couldn't get out of their own ways. That's really what it was. You know, the Randy Moss experiment 2.0 will go down in team history as one of the the highest and the lowest in the shortest amount of time. I mean, you guys come out of the bye. I think you had beaten Detroit, so you took the edge off of 0-2. During the bye, uh, you trade for Randy Moss. And everybody in town, he comes in, he's all smiles, get those 84 jerseys back out. And it's like, okay, if Sidney Rice is hurt, this is the solution. You've got a downfield threat. Not only that, he's a superstar with roots in history here. Brett Favre, Randy Moss, all right, we're back on track. Everything's going to happen. Uh, it didn't happen that way, and it ended in an <laughs> even more bizarre fashion. <laughs> yeah, you know, it really did. And I, and I think when – I can remember, listen, I grew up watching the Vikings, knowing Randy, watching a lot of Randy's games. And, and I mean, this guy is – I mean, he's HOF. He's, he walks in the field and had he, – he's just different. He, the way he jogs, the way he goes about his business. And I can remember the day – first day, you know, he comes out, we're watching him run routes, and we're watching him practice, and I'm like, this dude doesn't work hard at all. Like this guy's just going through the motions and I get it. Right. I mean, you're Randy Moss and you know, I'm, I'm never, never was going to be on his level and I'm not on that level. And, and, but one thing I know I couldn't do was just, you know, half, half a jog around and, 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 and not give a care. And that's what it seemingly really was. And again, that was just Randy's way. This is way he did it. And it worked with Tom Brady. Um, it had worked early in his career because of his ability. And, and it, and it probably would have worked had it been like 09 and things were going better. Because you know that Randy, not that he's a front runner, but if things were going good, he'd have been better. I mean, it's just the way it is. But he walked into a situation where he thought he could turn it around. Um, it wasn't going to happen. We weren't that team. And it went downhill really quickly. And, I mean, it was just, you know, it still was, you know, break, break move outside, throw your hand up. But there was just no, there was just no, uh, no cash at the end of that hand this time. Chad, what was that month like? Like that, the the month of Moss. What what was that internally from day one 
to to the last day when Brad cuts him and does a press conference. And Sansevier flat out asked him, did you cut Moss? Because this seems weird. And Brad's like, no. And then and then we, we go across the, the street and there's a, you know, we basically are told he's been cut. What was that? I, I think it was 28 days. What was that like as a player? Well, I can tell you it was, I, I internalized real quickly. When I knew things were hitting the fan, I'm like, you know what? I'm coming up to a contract here. I need to worry about Chad Greenway's lawn and, and mow that thing really well because I need to get paid. I need to get another contract. And I want to take care of myself. But you could just feel the tension and the, the strain. I mean, it was just horrible. I mean, from the from the excitement to – hey, we have a really cool weapon. This is a Hall of Fame where we're going to see him finish his career to bam, and we're just down. And, and you you know, from the locker room incident to the on-field antics to, to after the New England game when he was basically, you know, crying and wishing he was, be, was back in New England and playing for Belichick and Brady, and, and we're just like, you know, we had just lost the game, a tough game out in New England. Uh, we'd actually given him a game, which was great. And, you know, he says this stuff, and you can kind of see he wants to be a part of that. And, and you just knew it wasn't going to work. Um, I had been around enough at that point to know that, that things were going to end badly for him. Uh, didn't really, really realize all what would transpire over the next two months. But, um, but yeah, it was it was not going well. And you could just feel no, you you can feel that building. At Winter Park was could it holds a lot of secrets in those old walls. Um, you know that that's uh, it's hurt a lot. Probably of some bodies too. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe. <laughs> um. You know, we were John was talking about the, the the sequence of events. So Childress had his press conference and said nothing about Moss. We found out twenty minutes later he's cut. And then poor Ben Lieber is the only guy that shows up in the Vikings locker room about an hour later and has to take all the bullets for all of that. Just handed out like union leaflets or something. How did you send him out there to the firing squad and nobody else came with him? Oh, I'm glad it worked out that way. Now, now looking back, you know, I'm sure I was hiding in the train room like we always did, you know, hide out in the train room and just try to avoid anything we could possibly avoid. And I'm sure, I'm sure I come up with some sort of ankle injury or something. I need to go nurse in there, you know, so I didn't have time for, for questions that day. But um, yeah, you know, bet, well, probably was the best guy to send out, to be honest with you. He probably had the most information and probably knew, knew the best way to conceal what we needed to conceal. But uh, I think, you know, the, the craziest part was we really didn't know. I mean, we didn't know what the hell was going on. I mean, there were so many things in the background, and especially not knowing who really did have the power of that regime and that, that kind of what they call the triangle of power of what it was, is nobody really knew who was making the decision. That ended up being the problem uh, when, when Chile went off and kind of did his own thing. And I think that was part of the problem as a team is we didn't know who to answer to, right? And I think that was – it just leads to the demise, the downfall, and then the restructure, which they did and for – for a much better way. So, Brad, Brad, what was the, the sole responsibility for cutting Moss, though? Correct. As far as I that knew, was yeah, that's, Brad's that's deal. The story I got, and and kind of the feeling in the room was that's you know that's what had happened. Hey, how, Chad, how how far did Moss go to uh, to ruining is probably too strong of word, but to sullying Percy because you know per- Percy had had the great oh nine, and then from. What I've been told is when Moss got there, Percy worshipped him, basically, and that when Moss turned on Childress, Percy did, did too. How much did that dynamic uh, change Percy in your mind as far as the guy that we had seen in 2009 to then 2010? Yeah, I mean, I think it had a part of it. I think that was always in Percy. I really do. I think I think that re, re, uh, rebuffing authority and coaches had, had been in his past, and I think we had all known that, and 
and what he had accomplished in 09 and the, you know, the trajectory we all saw him taking. I mean, this was a guy who was as freaky as Adrian, as far as I was concerned. If you, if you're going to look at the, you know, the physical freaks that I played with, you know, Percy's in the top three, there's no question. And um, you could see that. I don't think Randy certain, I, I think he probably sped the process up and he probably was like, listen, this is how the game works. This is how you have to get yours. And, and you're not going to, you know, if they're not throwing to you and they're not doing this and you need to make sure you throw your hands and, and raise a fit. And that certainly happened. And, and, you know, what ended up happening is it kind of fell on Frazier more than anybody, you know, when, when things moved on and Chile went, moved on, it kind of fell to Leslie and, and we all know Leslie and how great of a person and, and really how great of a coach he is and how steady he is. He, he just didn't have the, he didn't have the, the wherewithal to know what he was getting himself into and how he's going to handle it. Now, at the end of the day, I thought they handled it well. You know, Percy made his, made his own story and got out of there and, and ended his career pretty quickly after that. But um, the reality was is Randy didn't help Percy. You know, he may have thought he was trying to help him, but at the end of the day, he hurt him because he put this idea in his head that he needed to be somebody that, that at that time, Percy wasn't. I mean, Percy was a, a team guy. I'm going to practice hard guy. I'm going to do it the right way. Didn't say a peep. And then all of a sudden he he gets a little mouthier and, and, you know, and ends up walking himself out of there, which were, you know, he's a guy that should have played there for 10 years plus and made a bunch of money. Let's put a bow on the Childers uh, saga and then move on. But uh, so you get, you get to this game at the Metrodome, you're three and six, the Packers are in town. uh, And it was about as ugly an ending as you can get. In fact, I don't remember the Metrodome being that surly uh, before. I mean, it was a 31 to three loss, but, I seem to remember Ray Edwards and Chris Cook going at it on the sidelines and they were chanting fire Childers. I mean, the inevitable was going to happen, but just yeah. kind of the vibe there, it, it, there was really no turning back. I don't think. Yeah, there wasn't. I mean, you could just feel it. You know, it was just such a bad performance. We weren't prepared. Uh, our heads were not there. I mean, this is the, this is the Packers. This is a game that we should have, you know, for all intents and purposes, wa- walked away and won. I mean, to be honest with you, with the ability we had and the talent, but that's just what shows you what you can do when, when you're not prepared, when you're not ready, your head's not there, your coaching staff's head's not there. And and they were worried about all the wrong things. And and it was just – I have to say I was really surprised it ended that quickly for Chile to think he was in the NFC title game the year before. And But it was more than that. It was bigger. It was the decisions. It was it was how he handled things. It was the defensiveness. It was needing to control and the power. And and uh, that's just the way that's just the way it ended. And, and, and honestly, I don't know that it, that it helped a whole lot, but it did – make which was the disaster of those next six weeks it made it probably a little easier for everybody because it was leslie and not and not chili and i and i like i love chili i mean he drafted me he brought me in he was always really good to me and my family and but i, I just think under the circumstances and the pressure that was going to lead that next six weeks it would have been even worse than it would have been with you know with leslie so all right now let's talk about what was supposed to be the giants game at the metrodome <laughs> What did you know? When were you told? And what is your reaction as a guy who was supposed to play on Sunday to literally the roof collapsing? Like up until then, it, it's like the roof is falling on the Vikings. Um, yeah. <laughs> but but t- take us through the night before when I think you, you guys met and were at least told that the dome was was leaking pretty badly. Um, just the whole reaction to finding out your roof had collapsed on your stadium. Yeah, so we had gone down. I always picked up Ben Lieber on the way down. So we drove. Uh, I drove. I lived out in uh, the Wyzetta Plymouth or Wyzetta Minnetonka area, and I drove into Edina, grabbed Lieber. And I can remember the road was like sixty-two, being horrible, and then driving in and and picking him up, and then driving up to the city. And it was just you know cars on the side of the road and the snowstorm. It was a legit snowstorm, as Minnesotans go. I mean, that was, there's no doubt about that. 
Um, and then we had a team meeting that said there were some issues with the Metrodome, but we didn't find out till the next morning. Um, as far as I remember, thinking I'm trying to think back, like how that all, you know, the timeline is hard to think back, but I'm pretty sure it was in the morning when we actually found out that what had happened. And we got, as far as I remember, we got a meeting right away in the morning. Here's our plan. We're going to go home. And then, oh, by the way, now we're going to travel and fly, which I think we did that same day, if I remember right, because we played on Monday. So did. Um, it, it happened really fast. And then the video came out of the guy. You can see the guy on the cart, you know, driving and speeding away. And, like, you're just really thankful and grateful nobody got hurt. And could imagine it being, you know, at noon that next day and, and having 70,000 screaming fans in there with that, that ice melting. And um, thank God that didn't happen. And, um, you know, it's funny now if you can talk about it because nobody passed away and nobody lost their life. And um, But it was – it's just something you would never in a million years expect to happen. And And there it was. Right after, right after the firing, right after moving on, and the disastrous game against the Packers, and now you move into this situation, and and it was it was bizarre. You know, you, you touched upon playing at TCF Bank Stadium in the snow. Nobody knew at that point that the Metrodome was going to run its course. The Vikings were going to get a new stadium deal, and then they would play two seasons right. at TCF <laughs> Bank Stadium, including that bitter cold playoff game against. Seattle. Oh yeah. It seemed like an anomaly at the time. What was it like to play outside in a home game? Oh, it was great. I mean, it was, I actually, you know, so the bears game playing outdoors at TCF, that first original one, the hardest part was the turf was froze. So they hadn't made all those changes to the stadium and the field. And, and I'm um, literally, you're taking two, you know, whatever the, whatever snowfall we got previous to us playing in Detroit to put the Metrodome down was that same snow. They were moving off to TCF so we could play a home game. And so that was really the thing. I actually, I can remember my, my dad was there. My mom was there. I remember them throwing snow in the air and, and it was kind of a fun environment until Devin Hester goes like 75 down the sidelines <laughs> for the time against the Vikings. Um, but I, you know, it was really a fun environment. I remember making a shoestring tackle diving and sliding on like ice shards for like 10 yards. It's not, I'm sure it was not that long, but it seemed that way. And um, it, it was fun to be back outdoors. And then fast forward a few years later, we're actually playing home games outdoors. And I, I mean, I loved it. It's got coils though, by by that that point, oh, yeah. right? So what? So my as I, I recall, uh, that game was played on Monday night. There was the fiftieth uh, anniversary of the team at the convention center on Sunday, and I seem to recall that you guys went uh, to TCF Bank Stadium for a walkthrough to look at the stadium at some point on Sunday. Um, and Chris Cluey, of all people, tweets out, "Everybody's worked really hard, and we appreciate it, but you can't play." this game because the turf is going to be frozen solid and somebody's going to get killed. And Chad, I, I went then to the party that night and I think it was a Vikings employee ran up to me. And it's like, that's the punter. Don't listen to him. It's absolutely <laughs> fine. It's going to be no. And then of course, in the craziness that was 2010, lo and behold, the person that damn near gets killed is Brett Favre. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. I mean, and and Cluey for all his you know faults and and loud mouth at times, I mean he wasn't wrong. I mean that's the thing is he was a hundred percent right. And you know from a, I, I guess when I played, I never really took those things into consideration, like my own health and safety. I mean I'm playing linebacker in the NFL. I I knew I was at risk pretty much every time I walked onto a field, so I wasn't really that concerned about that to be honest with you. But then at the same time. Um, you know, you, you crack your head against that turf or you get pushed the wrong way. And it can obviously be very, very traumatic. And, and, uh, you know, then you play the game and then what ends up happening to Brett, um, 
is exactly what you all feared. I mean, basically, a, it was a career ender, um, a hit that ended it. And, and um, like I said, kind of earlier on, is that was probably the only way that Brett was going to quote unquote end. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I guess it, it was, uh, it, it saved Brett from further damaging probably because he got out at least in one piece. Well, we'll let you, I'll wrap it up here with you, Chad, just a couple quick more uh, questions. Um, when you look back, um, so much happened in that 18 month period of time. Some of it, the, the franchise had a long time to get over that before, you know, kind of get getting stable again. Do you think you left it, the, the opportunity in New Orleans, ultimately January of 2010, that was the moment that was sort of the peak right there. And if it couldn't get done, then it just wasn't realistic. Maybe the next season to think you could. Yeah, I do. I think it was one of those situations where we had, we were peaking, we smashed the Cowboys were coming down. I mean, we couldn't overcome the turnovers. In my opinion, we were the better team, but you can't turn the ball over or whatever it was six times in a, in a game and, and win. Um, and that was our shot. I mean, you know, when Brett throws it back across his body and throws the pick and, and we couldn't finish in overtime, that was, that was the game. And that was, that was, you know, un- unfortunately for my career, looking back at 11 years, that was my best opportunity with the best quarterback I played with um, that was playing really good at that time with a really good veteran team. That that's a team that wins the Super Bowl a lot of times in the NFL. Um, if you can, if things can go your way, um, they just didn't. Uh, I, I let, uh, I don't let, you know, New Orleans that year. Um, I don't let that be a negative mark on my career. That's the, the highest level I got to. I played nine man football um, in South Dakota and I ended up playing in the NFC championship game in 09 and played well and had fun and, played in front of the, one of the loudest stadiums in history. And so I don't, I don't let people bring me down on that. I, I, I celebrate it. I, I embrace it. I, I have great memories from it and, and the scars from it as well. And that's just, that's sports. That's, that's what it's all about. You love it. You hate it. It makes you cry multiple directions and, and it is what it is. But um, you know, you just look back now and think with that group of, of players, that was our shot. It really was. And then, you know, you move forward and you had the McNabb experiments that was, that was clearly a fail and the ponder that was a fail. And then you, you know, unfortunately for me at the end of my career was, it was Teddy, you know, Teddy is the guy that I thought would have taken to was that kind of quarterback that could have taken us back to that position with the team we had. Uh, Cause our team was just, it was built differently than the, than the 10 team and the nine team. It was, it was, but um, you know, and Teddy gets hurt when, when he was primed to have just an absolute killer year. And that was, that's that's my career is is you can sort of the Browns fan quarterback list on the back of the jersey that reaches the the <laughs> age of the so, um, you know now we just get stories to tell when we're drinking our great duck vodka. Awesome. Yeah, I was gonna say how's retirement treating you and what are you up to these days? Yeah, it's, it's going great. We have four kids, so thirteen down to three. We're or four now. She's turned four, so. Uh, raising kids, um, I coach youth basketball, run around to youth soccer. Um, just love it. I run the Youth Basketball Association out here in Wyzetta for the community. So about 500 girls from second to eighth grade. I love that. I, I love hoops, and it's kind of become my life. My, my girls love sports and, and are uh, doing quite well, so it's going to be fun to track them. You guys will be following them in no time. Um, and then, uh, and then I, you know, we have Great Duck Vodka. So we started that two years ago. That's been going tremendously well. Um, our fan support beyond me, uh, beyond the Vikings fans. I mean, I think just Minnesotans in general really love what we do. Um, we just did a specialty label with Chris Hockey, and we gave uh, $19,200 back to Toys for Tots. So um, we really want to, you know, kind of put it where, where our money where our mouth is as a, as a company and be local. And to be local, you have to give back, and that's what we're really doing. Thanks, Chad. Great stuff, man. Much appreciated. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, thanks so much for the time, man. We really do appreciate it, just kind of coming back and reminiscing. 
You bet. Anytime. All right. Take care. Thanks, man.